we'll look at Romans 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. It's one of the big texts of the Bible. How how simple these words are. Most of them just one syllable so that the children can understand and follow. God, hope, fill, joy, peace, trust him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Now, one thing I dare not do, and that is to make the simple complex. They are profound words. They are unbelievable words, but they are not confusing words. Let me make a simple point to start. My first point is that the apostle presumes that people without Christ are empty of true joy and peace. That's the judgment we make on the world around us. People without God are running on empty. You know the growing unease and concern. You're driving in a a lonely, unfamiliar place and you've not prepared yourself by getting enough uh, gas, enough petrol for the car. You're on the open road, far from any towns. You're going around a bend. The needle's on empty. And uh, the children in the back, your wife in the front, have all noticed and there's a quiet in the car now. And it's getting dark, and you're wondering what you're going to do if you run out of petrol. There are a few other cars about. Will you leave your wife and children in the car? And will you hitchhike somewhere to get petrol? Where is it? And on and on you go, longing to see the signs of of a filling station. And you're constantly disappointed. There's no joy in the car. There's no peace in the car. You switch the radio on, and... A momentary distraction. Your eyes keep going to the needle and around the bend and you're looking all the time. You've got to be full. The car engine can't work. You're going to be left there by yourself. The world in which we live is running on empty. What a relief to go round the bend and find a Texaco sign or a Gulf sign or a BP sign or a Shell sign. It doesn't matter. You, if you were a Christian, you were praying. You've known that, haven't you? Oh, Lord, let there be a, a petrol station soon now. Lord, oh, please, Lord, let there be one. You, you've known it. We've all made a mistake like that and almost or half run out of gas. Oh, what a deliverance when you pulled in and you fill it up, and you're on the next 40 miles to your bed and breakfast, you get there safely. We live in a society where most men and women are aware that they are running on empty. I I mean, the signs of it are the sales of alcohol and alcohol dependence, and the dependence on nicotine, and the clamor for the legalization of narcotic drugs, and the non-stop entertainment and the hours of TV watching that there is to just escape from the feeling of loneliness and going on and on to a certain grave. People are aware that they have one lifetime to live. And what are they doing about it? And where is their deliverance? 
It is appointed unto men once to die. There's an appointment that God has made for every one of you and for me. And uh, people don't want to talk about that. They will say, oh, well, you have to die, and, and that's it. You cease to be, you're snuffed out, you're annihilated, it's all over. And the thought of that hardly gives people joy, does it? And peace, that you're going to be taken away from all that's familiar, the faces and the places, and you're going into nothingness forever. And then there are these words, may the God of peace, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, as you trust in him, it says. Religious words, Christian words, enduring words of truth. I want you to consider with me for a moment that they might be true. Just shake off the, the, the distrust for a moment now. That you needn't go running on empty, wondering what's going to happen. Will I be abandoned? The second thing I want you to say, see is that the living God offers to fill us with all joy and peace. This is a prayer wish, isn't it? It's uh, his benediction. It's his invocation to God that uh, God will do this for the people of the Roman congregation. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are out of joy and peace. Um, That's God's judgment. And uh, you you go on... uh, Refusing to face up to that. You go on for years saying, that's religion. As though that was unworthy of serious thought. And the reading of the Bible and the attendance at the means of grace. One day you, uh, you meet someone. You meet a, a girl who works in the office with you. The secretary there, and you say, um, do you have a nice weekend? And she said, oh, yes, yes. Oh, we had a lovely meeting in church on Sunday. So you're meeting a Christian. In the providence of God, nothing happens by chance or accident. A, a Christian has come into your life. And so you say to her, oh, do you go to church? Oh, yes, every Sunday I go. And then... In the weeks that follow, you look out for her early on in the week, and you say, did you have her in church on Sunday? And she tells you more. And then one day she says, would you like to come with me? We've got a special service on. And you go along with her. And when you enter and sit there and sing some hymns, it's like coming home. It's not religion at all. It's a a personal relationship that you have with God, your creator. The God who's watched over you and and helped you all through your life and given you the great things in life. It can happen that way. It can happen. You start to read a Bible that's been on the shelf a long time. 
You hear on the radio or on TV a, a person preaching. You have a desire in your heart to do the unthinkable and walk up steps into a church and take a little seat there and listen. You're coming to one who can fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. You really can't do that. It's it's the testimony of so many of us here in, in this congregation. We've experienced that. We experience it still. After 50, 60 years, um, that is what we would say to you. Our God has filled me with joy and peace as, as I trust in him. Of course, we tell people that God is light. In him is not a molecule of darkness. who can dwell in the eternal burnings. We tell people that. Our God is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We tell people the great uh, solemn sanctions of judgment that are here in the Word of God. But we are never to forget that the unique distinction of the Christian message is that it is good news. It is news of God's love and God's mercy, and God's grace. It's a message of hope. Uh, Jesus didn't say to the church, you are the headmaster of the world. He didn't say to the church, you are the traffic warden of, uh, of the church. He told them they were the light of the world. And that light is the message that God loved the world and gave his Son And his son says, come to me and I will give you rest. This God is a God of hope who can lift up despairing people. uh, That your burdens, and some of you have brought them with you today, they, they can be lifted. Take my yoke upon you, he says. And so there are two of you now carrying this burden together. Your discouragement can turn to an acceptance of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you can be filled, you can be filled to the brim with all joy and peace. That's what our text says. It's almost unbelievable. And so the devil is saying to you at this moment, we are not ignorant of his devices. He's saying to you, ah, this is religion now. That's what he says. He says, it's too good to be true. That's what he's saying to you just now. Please listen. Please keep him now out of your ears and out of your heart. Paul is writing to the entire congregation in Rome, to the weak believers, the new Christians, the youngest lamb in the flock of Christ, the illiterate, the slaves, the blind, the feeble-minded, the slaves, and his longing for every one of them. May the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, he says. The great question on the lips of the me generation in which we live is, well, what's in it for me? If I come to your church, if I become a Christian, what's in it for me? I will tell you, you will be filled with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 
You better believe it. You're never going to hear a better offer than this offer in this text, this day, this moment. The third thing I want to say to you is that the Bible tells us how such hope can be ours. That the God, firstly, the God we Christians worship is a God of hope. He's not twisting his hands now in uh, mute despair as he looks on Syria and uh, Hungary and Germany and North Africa and Pakistan and North Korea and that he looks and he's unable to help men and women there. Um, He's a powerful God, a mighty God, sovereign God, a God from everlasting to everlasting. If he makes a promise... He fulfills them. He says, I'll never leave you. Never leaves us. I'll supply all you need. He supplies all our need. He says he can make all grace abound. Abundant grace is given to us. He has this title, the God of hope, because he invites the the worst kind of people. And we all have uh, our imaginations filled with the worst types of of, uh, of people proud and vain, uh, overindulgent, selfish, torturers and rapists, guilty, despairing men and women. He promises them, you turn from that. You turn and you come to me and I'll give you hope. He will pardon the worst things they have done, the things that they've hidden from those who they love the most. He'll clothe them with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He'll adopt them into his family. He'll make them his own children. He will become their teacher. He'll he'll tell them what life means. And he'll pray for them at the right hand of God. He'll intercede. He'll change them from the inside so tenderly and so gently. He'll give them a new heart that now starts to love Whatsoever things are true and right and good and loving. He'll give them patience. He'll give them power to resist temptation. And when they fall seven times, he'll pick them up seven times too. Are you listening? I can't understand how any one of you hearing these truths can go out of this building without Jesus Christ today. Karl Marx can't promise what I've just promised you. Sigmund Freud, he couldn't say these things. Darwin only knew about the survival of the fittest. We're not the fittest, are we? We limp and stagger. The burdens we carry sometimes seem to crush us. But here is a a saviour who will fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him. The second thing I want to say is that God has given us certainty how this can be so. You Christians, people say you Christians, you're you're always talking about love. You're always talking about joy. Talking about peace. Words. Just words. God has given us the greatest assurance that this is true by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter, the companion and eyewitness of 
Christ's life and death and resurrection, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You remember how uh, Peter was so filled with uh, self-confident knowledge that he knew better than Jesus about his future, that Jesus didn't have to go to the cross, that that was totally unnecessary. He sought to dissuade him. And how he didn't listen to Jesus' words of counsel when he says, you better watch and pray because you're coming through, going to face a difficult time. He had given three years of his life to follow Jesus and he ends on the cross. He was just another failed prophet. And then on the third day, He and John ran and John's light feet raced before Peter and got to the tomb and they looked inside and Peter went in and the tomb was empty. The clothes were there, but he wasn't. And then Jesus appeared to him, personally to him, charged him, recommissioned him, had breakfast with him at the side of the lake, met him in the upper room, met him on the hill of Galilee and the hill of Ascension with 500 others. He met him and Peter was filled with hope. He was born again to a living hope by what Jesus Christ had done. And that's the way God assures us when he promises us all joy and peace. It's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of the facticity and reality of these things. The glory of the resurrection is that it didn't occur in uh, the world of hypotheses and theories and philosophies or the world of theology, but that it took place in the world of, uh, of time and space, of rocks. A big boulder rolled over the face of a cave, rigor mortis. It was that reality in which Jesus rose from the dead. Behold the place where they laid him. He is not here. He is risen, the empty tomb, the triumph over death of Jesus Christ. We are people of hope then, aren't we? We're going to see our, our loved ones who died in Christ. We're going to be with them. They're going to, we're going to hold their hands again. We're going to see uh, the Savior that Peter saw. We're going to be with him forevermore. That first Lord's Day was the eruption into this world of the goodness and the power of God, the vindication of his Son. God raised him from the dead. The third thing I want to say about this point is that the God of hope tells us how this joy and peace can be, how, can be ours. What price must we pay? What pilgrimage must we go on? What self-mortification must we endure? What heights of righteousness must we attain in order that joy and peace can be ours? Jesus says, come to me. You come just as you are. You come to me. You come and you find hope in me, he says. Some of you are not sure whether you have a saving faith or not. There are days when you feel you do, and there are days when you 
your sensitivity to the inconsistencies of your lives as believers um, undermines that, that faith. Faith is a difficult word, isn't it? Let's use the word trust. The Anglo-Saxon rather than the Latin word. Let's, let's use trust. Um, you, you can trust. You, you look at your watch and it's very trustworthy. You trust what it says. When your uh, wife says, I'll be back in half an hour, I'm just going down to the shops. You trust her, don't you? You're not going to see a fella round the corner. You can trust your wife. You trust your mother in what she says to you and what she's done for you. The track record, the experience of her love. All her life you trust her. You can trust Jesus. You can trust everything he said and everything he did. He wasn't a conjurer. He wasn't a magician. It wasn't by the power of Beelzebub that he did what he did. This is the incarnate God. God in the flesh. And all he said, come unto me and I'll give you rest. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. They are true. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those that are pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's the way of blessedness. Jesus tells us, you can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, children, there was once a little girl, and her name was Aspen. I don't know, I've never met anyone else called Aspen. It's a pretty name. And uh, she was being picked up by her father on the school run, and they were coming home together. And he had to drive very carefully, because it's one of these terrible outbursts of rain in which you need then the double uh, speed on the windscreen wipers. And they're going back and forth, and father's watching, because there are other parents and cars. And she's sitting, she's six, and she's sitting alongside him in the car. Daddy, Daddy, I'm thinking of something. She said, yes, yes, Aspen. What are you thinking of? The rain is like sin, and the windscreen wipers are like God wiping our sins away. That's what she said to him. He was deeply touched. She's a funny little girl, but um, she never said anything as profound as that. He had a lump in his throat, and he wanted to see how far they could run in this conversation. So he said to her, and do you notice, Aspen, that the rain keeps coming? What does that tell you? And she didn't hesitate for a moment. She says, we, we keep on sinning. And God keeps on forgiving. We keep on sinning, don't we? We keep on today and all our days. Not a day without sin in any one of us. And the vastness of God's mercy, he he keeps on forgiving. He keeps on forgiving and forgiving. And forgiving. 
You, you, you trust in him now, boys and girls, like that little girl. When you see the windscreen wipers, you think, yeah, they wash away the stains and the marks and the steam. God washes away our, our sins. I say at times to myself, if I die, I'm going to die trusting in Jesus Christ. If I'm to go to hell, I'll go to hell trusting in Jesus Christ. Now I know no one has ever gone to hell trusting in Jesus Christ. But sometimes you lack assurance, don't you? And again, the God of hope tells us that the result of trusting him is that we become filled with all joy and peace. Okay. Joy. A man came on to me um, at the family conference uh, two weeks ago and he said, um, Peter speaks about joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I don't think I've got that. I've tried and I've prayed and I just lack it. How can I get this joy unspeakable? I think that's the most difficult question I've ever been asked. I didn't want to just give him cliches. Joy. The absence of joy. The joy of discovering the truth. The joy of knowing God. The joy of being loved by God. The joy of realizing that all our sins, every one of them has been forgiven. The worst is a forgiven sin. The joy of walking through life with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The joy of having a, a Bible. The joy of having the Lord's Day. The joy of the means of grace and meeting with God's people. The joy of bearing witness, of saying, um, I'm a Christian. To somebody for the first time. The joy of hearing the word of God being preached with power and the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. The joy of knowing we're going to see our loved ones again. I tell you this story. I love to tell this story. You've heard it before. I was preaching in a church in Grand Rapids. And I was asked out by a carpenter if I came to his house. His name is Mark. And his wife's name is Coral. And there were 10 children around the table, and Yola and I. We were 14 around the table, and we had traditional Dutch Sunday lunch rolls and chicken soup. Don't think about that now. Listen to what I've got to say. So at the end of the meal, he got his Bible out to read a passage of scripture to us. He said, I don't know if you uh, know about us, uh, Mr. Thomas. You know that uh, you've been preaching to us this morning. 
about contentment. And I did know something about them, but oh, I was longing to hear it from Mark himself. He said, uh, I had two children and my wife was pregnant with a third and she went through uh, lights, green lights, and a man just went through a red light and hit her at high speed and killed her and the unborn child. And my wife here, um, her husband's a butcher in Grand Rapids, a well-known godly man who employed street people and gave them a break and helped them with the slaughtering and so on. And one man was terribly unreliable and deceitful and he had to fire him. And the next day, the man came to the shop with a Colt forty-five and shot him dead. And uh, uh, my wife's parents then, they came and looked after her. And on Sunday, we went to church the five children and my wife and her father and mother at the front of the car. And we were driving to church and there was a voice from the back of the car. The ten children were as quiet as mice as I listened. A voice came from the back of the car. One of the children, we're not singing. We always sing when we go to church. And one of them struck up John Newton's great Sabbath hymn, safely through another week. Their father had been murdered. But he was safe in the arms of Jesus. So she went to this church then with her five children. And he was there with his uh, three children. And the Lord brought them together and gave them love for one another. And then they had uh, two children of themselves. Ten children. Chicken soup. Y'all and me. And uh, Mark and Coral there telling us that. And then praying. Children going over it in their minds, knowing it. These traumatic events. Paul speaks here about all joy and peace, all kinds of joy and peace, all the variations and the combinations of joy and peace that can come into our lives, that can come when those we love most are taken from us. And there's a a depth of peace in our hearts that, that cries to the depths of God and is sustained and strengthened through those years, all joy and peace. Joy and peace, never joy alone, never peace alone. Peace characterized by joy, joy that's not giddy, but a, a peaceful, contented joy. Ah, if only we believed what we do believe. If only I could implement what I'm preaching to you every moment of every day. You know, the story of uh, 
of Joseph bringing his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to his father, Jacob, for his father to bless. And his favorite is, is Manasseh, and he puts Manasseh in front of the right hand of his father, and Ephraim's on the left hand. And he asks his father to bless them. And remember what the father does? Uh, the father crosses his hands, and he puts his right hand on, uh, on Ephraim's head, on, on Manasseh's head, not on Ephraim. And, and Jacob says, no, dad, no, no, uh, this, is, this is Ephraim, and this is Manasseh. And uh, Jacob won't release, it won't change his hands. And, uh, Jacob tries to pull the hands apart, but the old man, he is determined. He says, with his... Uh, Right hand on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh's head, he prays, The angel who delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abram and Isaac. And may they increase greatly upon the earth. No, 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 I want the, thy, thy blessing to be on Manasseh, not on Ephraim. I know, the father says. I know. But he too will become a people. And he too will become great. Nevertheless, the younger will be greater than the older. And there are times when things happen to us. And we say, Lord, you know what you're doing. Not this way. Not blessing on this person. But blessing on that person. The one I long for. Why do no doors open for so many of us? And other people, they get promotion. They get work. Why is one preacher blessed so greatly and another such small blessings? God says, I know. You don't know. There are secret things that belong to the Lord, but the Lord knows. Why has he let the country in such an abyss of uh, a moral chaos that we are in today? Well, we know, don't we, when you leave the word of God, when you've got no anchor, when you've got no standard of what is right and wrong, when you disregard the law of God, when you despise the gospel, then all these troubles come into families into individuals' lives. The will of God. That's the great thing. When it was John Newton's bicentenary, I read a bit of Newton at that time. I love this story. The angels all appear before God to receive their instructions for the day. And he tells one angel to go and rule the greatest empire in the world. angel goes and rules that empire. And he comes to the next uh, angel and he tells him to clean the public toilets in a, in a slum. The angel goes and does it. For angels, it is immaterial what God asks them to do. Whether God asks them to be mighty in the world or insignificant in the world, as long as they know it's God's will. Their contentment and their joy and their peace is doing what God tells them to do. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done.
The result of, of this then, of being filled with joy and peace by the God of hope, is that the text before you says we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See it? Big gold letters. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't get it for some religious kick. We don't get it for a buzz from being religious. You can get buzz and kicks that are better than and then ours, I'm sure, emotionally, you can inject yourself and sniff and do all those things. And, my, you're walking on air. We do it to overflow with hope to an uh, unhappy, dying generation of which we are a part. That, that's why we're Christians. That you know, the two lakes in, um, in the Holy Land, in the north there, is the little Sea of Galilee, beautiful, crystal clear. Jordan runs in at the top and runs out at the bottom, and it's full of fish. They call it Peter's fish there. And then the, it runs, and then there's a steep decline, and the Jordan uh, gathers pace, and it finally comes to the deepest spot in the world, the Dead Sea. And there's no escape. There's no flowing out. And um, the Dead Sea then becomes increasingly saline and chemical and arid and sterile. Nothing lives in it at all. It takes in, but it doesn't give out. That man who asked me um, how he could find joy, well, part of it was, what was he doing for other people? How was he serving other people? How was he caring for and visiting and loving his family and his friends and members of the congregation? That he was living for others. That he wasn't just taking in the word of God and his promises and his grace, but he was giving out too. That's why some of you have a low experience of joy and peace. Because you center it all on yourself. Instead of abounding in hope to others around you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. In the end, isn't it? By the power, not by an orator, not by three steps, not by any tricks. The Holy Spirit, how we need him in our lives to fill us with joy and peace. Help us to minister that joy and peace, that message of hope. Be always ready to give anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that's in you. And you do it with meekness and reverence, don't you? May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. We ask the loving God to hear our prayers and grant that we shall be answered indeed above our deserving and above our asking and that we shall be a refreshing, irrigating, cleansing, health-giving congregation 
of hope to minister to troubled men and women in our town. O Lord, have mercy on us and grant an answer to that prayer which we bring in Jesus' name. Amen.